Taking your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. It's a little bit of an unusual reading for this morning. We'll read all of Acts 10, and we will be able to still preach uh, what we need to preach because Peter is going to repeat much of the same story in Acts 11. So you get to hear it almost twice. And there's a reason he does so. Beloved, as I read through this chapter, listen ever so carefully to what Cornelius is going to say in verse 33. He says to Peter after Peter has arrived at his house, So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Acts 10.33, mark it down. It's the true temperament of those who go to hear the word of God on the Lord's day, on any day. We are all here in the presence of God to hear what he has commanded you to say. Praise the Lord that such hearts are tuned by such grace. Let us pray and then read. Gracious God, help us. Help us in the reading in the hearing, we pray that the voice of the Master would be that voice we recognize herein. Tend to us, Lord, for the weakness is not in the Word, the weakness is not in the Master, the weakness is in us, the hearer. Lord, we humble ourselves and confess our weakness is great, greater than we know. Come and help us, we pray, to your honor, in Jesus' name, amen. Acts 10.1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the poor, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. 
What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius. Your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa, and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. Beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were opposed by the devil. Excuse me. And went about healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is God's word. Well, beloved, what we have heard in our reading this morning is how the one true God of grace and mercy reaches into the Gentile world to save sinners. The Gentile world is that world outside of the Jewish world. That is a simple way to remember the difference. The Gentile world is outside of Israel, the world outside of circumcision, outside of Moses, outside of the covenants, the world outside of the Levitical priesthood, outside of the temple and the whole sacrificial system. That's the Gentile world. The Gentile world is the world of the nations. That's another way the scripture speaks of it. The world populated by a people who walked in darkness. That's the Gentile world, as Isaiah 9, 6 says it. Not did they just walk in darkness, they dwelt in a land of deep darkness, Isaiah says. A land of death, a land of spiritual ignorance, a land without covenants, without the law, a land under judicial condemnation. That is how the Bible tells us that everyone lived outside of the Jewish world. This is the world most of you have come from. It's the world I have come from. But the God of all grace, the God of all mercies, reaches into that dark world and, get this, instead of calling those people to come to the light of Judaism, he calls them to come to Christ. He calls them to come to the true light. Instead of cleansing those people by circumcision, And by ceremonies through Israel's priest, God cleanses the Gentiles by faith in Christ. For it is now a revelation to the whole world. Both Jew and Gentile must be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. When the Apostle Peter later rises to speak of the very events you just heard in Acts 10. He is in Jerusalem, not Caesarea. It is Acts 15, not Acts 10. Peter gets up in the middle of the great council, and he then says this of the Gentiles, God who knows the heart 
bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Acts 15, 8 and 9. What a remarkable statement. Peter is not only saying something about the Gentiles there, he is saying something about the Jews. That Judaism never cleansed the Jew. The heart is only cleansed by faith. And if any Jew missed it, now that they are going to see it in great numbers among the Gentiles, it is a testimony back to them that their Judaism was not cleansing of the heart either. Only faith in Jesus Christ cleanses the heart. As his testimony to them, Peter said, God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit to confirm that he had cleansed them of all sin's defilements and had done it by faith in Christ alone. Now, it is quite hard for us to understand how earth-shattering this was to the Jews who first witnessed it or first heard about it. We live so much farther down the road from these days described in Acts 10. We now take for granted, don't we? We take for granted that the Gentiles, all nations, can be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. But our comfort with this, which is a good comfort, a true comfort, a necessary comfort, that was not something readily expected at all by the first Christians. Because all the first Christians were Jews, and they still needed to be discipled in the triumph of Christ's righteousness. Notice again the words of verse 45 of Acts 10. It says that there were several Jewish believers in Christ who came with Peter from Joppa to Cornelius' house. When Peter recounts this story again in Acts 11, he tells us it was six Jewish Christians who came with him from Joppa up the coast to Caesarea. It says in verse 45 of Acts 10 that those six, those, those Jewish brothers who believed on Christ, they were amazed to see the Holy Spirit poured out even on the Gentiles. That means they did not expect it. It wasn't the speaking in tongues that amazed them. It was who was speaking in tongues that amazed them. The Gentiles. Uncircumcised Gentiles who ate food that was unclean according to Jewish dietary laws. They were suddenly baptized by God himself with the Holy Spirit, just like believing Jews had been on the day of Pentecost. God had accepted the Gentiles as Gentiles. God had fully reconciled them to himself through their faith in Christ. By his spirit, God had renewed the image, his own image, in these Gentiles, even though they had never been full converts of Judaism. How could this be? Through Christ is how it could be. Through his incarnation, Jesus became the true Israelite. Under the law, Jesus was perfect. 
He met all the law's demands for righteousness in his obedient human life. He bore all the penalties of the law in his obedient human death. He was the true Israelite. Why then was God pleased to give Gentiles the Holy Spirit? Because God knows the heart. That's what Acts 15.9 says. What did God know about the heart of Cornelius and those who had gathered into his house? God knew they had put their faith in Christ. And having put their faith in Christ, all that belonged to the true Israelite was transferred to them. And they stood before God as if they themselves had performed the obedience that Jesus performed and had borne the penalties that Jesus had borne. God knew that they had believed all the words Peter had spoken in that little sermon of his, verse 34 through 43 of Acts 10. So think about this. Peter's walking up to Caesarea from Joppa. He doesn't bring kosher Jewish foods. He doesn't bring a knife to perform circumcisions. He doesn't bring a Levitical priest. Peter brings one thing. Do you see what it is? He brings preaching. He brings a heralding, a proclaiming. He brings a sermon to Cornelius's friends and family. A declaration of good news that in Christ, God is reconciling the nations to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. For Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Now, I want to take a couple more lessons out of today's reading in Acts 10. And the first is probably the most important one. And it is this. By Christ's atonement, the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile has been torn down. By Christ's atonement, the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile has been torn down. That there was once a great wall of separation is made quite clear by Peter's strong protest during the vision from heaven. As the Lord shows Peter all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 13, Peter, Peter thinks it's a test. So he replies, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. As a Jew, Peter recognizes that many of the animals that he sees in this sheet-like vision, he recognizes that the animals have long been forbidden to him. But probably not all of the animals. Inside the sheet are a mixture of all the animals, clean and unclean. But Peter sees the forbidden ones, the unclean ones, forbidden because the ceremonial law that God gave to Moses identified some animals as unclean and not to be eaten by the faithful Jew. Why in Leviticus 11 do we find that some foods were clean to the Jews and some unclean? The answer has everything to do with Israel being separated from the nations of the world. 
National Israel were the people who, by a covenant, entered and dwelled in the presence of Yahweh. They were a special people, a special possession of God. They would be the privileged people on the earth who would dwell in the presence of Yahweh on the earth. Remember, he tabernacled among them. They lived in tents, so he said, I will live in a tent myself in your midst. It was because Yahweh was in their presence that they were required to distinguish between clean and unclean. Because Yahweh's presence always brought life, any animal associated with death or with chaos or with corruption was forbidden to the covenant people. Because the nearer you drew to Yahweh, you had to keep death further away from you. It wasn't a sin to have a bodily emission as a man or a woman, but if you've read your Old Testament, you know that that made you unclean. Why? Because to have a bodily emission was to have some life go out of you. It was a step towards death. So all of the clean and unclean laws, including the dietary laws, distinguish between death and life. And since Yahweh's people were in his presence and he is life in himself, he is the eternal life, they were allowed only to eat clean foods, not carnivorous birds, for example, who killed and were always involved in the, the dying of other creatures. So... it was the Gentiles who ate those foods that were unclean. Why? Because the Gentiles were still in the realm of death, far from the presence of Yahweh, outside of the nation, outside of Canaan, outside of the covenant. And this means that whenever the Jews sat down to eat a meal, every single meal was meant to remind them of God's election of them as a nation, out of all other nations. And it was their calling to be a holy people in the very life and presence of God. But now, here in Acts 10, something extraordinary is happening. The Lord himself from heaven, from heaven, this sheet comes down from heaven, the ultimate place of life, the ultimate place of cleanness. It comes down to remove the old wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. In a very forceful statement to Peter, and in fact to every churchman, the Lord says, what God has made clean, do not call common. The application of this statement is not, however, limited to foods, is it? It is to be extended to persons. John Chrysostom said it is about the whole world. Christ in his atonement is going to sanctify, has sanctified the whole world to us, and it is, he has given it back to us to receive with thanksgiving, 1 Timothy 4. Well, Peter knows that it is not just to apply to food, and he figures it all out rather quickly because there are suddenly three men outside at his gate, Three men sent from Cornelius to take him up to Caesarea. And the next day, when he enters Cornelius' house, he says to everyone gathered there, all Gentiles, Peter says, you yourselves know 
how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. The wall of separation had long been stamped on the heart of Peter, and now the Lord himself has torn it down with a word. But a word grounded in a cross, for it is on the cross where this wall of hostility has finally fallen. We'll come to that in a second. Why is God declaring all things clean? Because now that Christ has made a full and a final atonement for all sin, and now that the Spirit can be poured out on all who believe on Christ, there is no distinction to keep between men. For Christ has satisfied all sin's judgment. Both Jew and Gentile can only escape the realm of death through Christ. Both Jew and Gentile can only enter the life of God through Christ. All of the ceremonial laws under the Mosaic legislation were temporary because they were simply signs pointing to that which Christ himself would fulfill. They, the signs, did not fulfill it. They simply kept the nation of Israel focused. Just think of the two messages the clean-unclean legislation sets upon the church, the church ancient and the church new. The two messages are these. The old clean-unclean laws said to the ancient church, wait and look for the one who will cleanse all creation and return all created things to you clean and for your use in the service of God. Wait and look for that one who will finally cleanse it. And they, they should have anticipated that this was going to happen because when Noah got off the ark, beloved, there were no clean and unclean animals. Noah was allowed to eat everything when he got off the ark. They should have known that this would have been temporal. And because it was temporal, they should have known that someone was coming who would fulfill it and return all creation to their hands for the use and service of God. The second message that the clean-unclean laws set on the church in the New Covenant is this one. Outside of Christ, no one is clean. Outside of Christ, all men, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, Male or female, outside of Christ, none are in any place but the realm of death and condemnation. But in Christ, all men are pure, regardless of their race, regardless of their rank. As Paul says in Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. That means that even, I'm going to out myself here, even when an unbeliever is drinking, one of the best drinks that can be found in summer, a half-cut tea for a dollar from McDonald's, 
Yes, we make the, we make the sun tea at home too, but a dollar. This is not meant to be advertising. Even when an unbeliever is drinking that refreshing tea, it's a defiled drinking, even though it comes to them as a kindness from God, even though it comes to them under the banner of common grace, because they drink it without thanksgiving and praise to God through his mediating son, it ends up being a judgment against them. And for the Christian, because we are now pure in Christ, we can partake of everything that is wise and lawful with thanksgiving. Remember, as you hear these words this morning, that God himself, because of the full and final atonement of Christ, has torn down the wall of separation. Remember this, beloved, because there will be people who will want you to rebuild that wall. They're on YouTube. They're in Christian bookstores. They want to tell you again that the way of the Christian is by not touching, not tasting, not drinking. They want to create distinctions in the body of Christ based on the food some eat and some don't eat. Remember the words of your Apostle Paul. He saw this in Colossae, and he wrote this to them. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used? According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul says there are people always preying on the Christian, coming with a message that says, you can be more spiritual if you don't eat this, if you don't drink this. Paul says right here, it has the appearance of wisdom to it, doesn't it? Because it, it seems severe, and things that are severe always seem to be impressive. But Paul says something that deals a fatal blow to it. These are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. A severe man, a do-not-touch, do-not-taste man, who thinks he will climb the ladder of spirituality that way, has just gotten a word from Christ, that way has no value to reign in your flesh. What does have value in reigning in the flesh? Faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is worth every effort to fight against my flesh, that he has been crucified to deliver me from sin's dominion. He has been raised so that my sins don't follow me to heaven. Why wouldn't I fight in his strength out of love for him? I'm not going to turn to the elementary principles of the world. Shockingly, Paul includes in Galatians even the ceremonial law under that title, the elementary principles of the world. To go back to it is to diminish Christ. One more lesson today. 
from Acts chapter 10. And beloved, this lesson is about the sovereignty of God in the salvation of sinners. One thing that we cannot miss in Acts 10 is how everything that is happening is under the sovereign direction of Almighty God. If we just left this up to Peter and Cornelius, they would never meet. But the Lord has made this meeting unavoidable, hasn't he? Look at the sovereign coincidences. It is the three men, as they were approaching the city at that very time that Peter went up to the roof to pray, verse 9. It is while Peter was wondering about the meaning of his vision that the men sent by Cornelius are found at Simon the Tanner's house out at the gate, verse 17. It is then while Peter was still thinking about the vision that the Spirit tells him about the three men looking for him and tells him to go downstairs and go with them because they will finish the exposition of the trance vision. That's verse 19 and 20. And then the emphasis upon God's timing reaches what we might call a climax when it was while Peter was still speaking that the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Verse 44. When Peter retells this account, he highlights the amazing timing of the events, and he he keeps stating with this phrase, right then, to describe what happened next. Because Peter sees the sovereign unseen hand of God in directing this whole matter of saving these Gentiles in Caesarea. And that brings us back to the prayers of Cornelius even, which fall under the sovereign grace of God. Twice we hear in Acts 10, the angels say first to Cornelius, and then Cornelius repeats it to Peter, that he has been told by the angel that his prayers have been heard, that his prayers and his alms have brought a remembrance of him before God. What has Cornelius been praying about? Well, we know what he's been praying about because of the actions he takes when he hears that Peter is coming. What does he do? He goes and fills his house with his friends. He goes and fills his house with his relatives, his family. When the angel said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and is being answered. And then we read the rest of the chapter. We know what the prayer was. Cornelius was praying for the salvation of his household. He was praying for the salvation of his friends. And that's why he invites them all over to hear what the Apostle Peter is going to say. And they hear They hear the good news of the gospel. Beloved, hear this very clearly. The godly always desire the salvation of their families. The Christian always desires the salvation of their children. It is confirmed to you again in this text today. It was confirmed to you in Job chapter 1, recall. The Lord puts this all over the scriptures. How has Cornelius come to be such a man 
who prays for the salvation of his family and friends. How did these prayers get seeded like a garden in his heart? Who imitates whom in a desire for the salvation of sinners? Cornelius, beloved, is imitating God. Calvin makes a wonderful argument in his exposition of this passage that Cornelius was regenerated even before he met Peter. Much like Simeon was regenerated even before he held the baby Jesus and said, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. The seed of God himself had been sown by the Spirit of God in a small measure into Cornelius, and in some kind of shadowy, dark, obscure way, he was praying for the salvation of his family. And just like the house of Zacchaeus, Jesus keeps an appointment and comes and brings salvation to that house. Beloved, Cornelius was a man rich in graces. This is not because he found his way to God without God first coming to him. No. The Lord came to him and began a good work. Remember what our Savior said in John 6, No man comes to me unless my Father draws him. We must let Scripture interpret Scripture. By grace you are saved, not by works. What we see in Cornelius, though, is clearly a man of high quality, not just high rank. And he's of high quality not because he is of high rank in the military. He's of high quality because he is a man of devoutness, because God has visited him. And God, who has given a little, is going to give much to a man who's been faithful with a little. And soon he will see his whole house Enjoy the salvation of God. But let us not overlook it as I close. The Lord does not finish his great work in Cornelius without bringing Cornelius to Christ. Just like he brought Simeon to Christ. And he does it through preaching. Why doesn't the angel who visits Cornelius just tell Cornelius then everything that Peter's going to tell him in a day? The angel could have said, Jesus died, was crucified on the tree, was raised from the dead on the third day. The angel could have said all of that to Cornelius. But the Lord leaves it in the mouth of Peter, who has to walk some 40 miles up the coast. Why? Because the Lord is organizing his church. He is building his church, and he's teaching all of us for the next 2,000 years plus that he is going to save sinners through the proclamation of the good news, not through angelic visitations, so that we wouldn't be slothful and say, well, the angels got that. And so that we also would be hungry and that we would have a narrower 
viewfinder of what providences we are looking for. But we have an opportunity to gather before God and hear the word preached, let's go. Because there's only one way to come out of the land and realm of death, and it is through the announcement of Jesus Christ, a savior for sinners who makes hearts clean by faith alone. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us in Acts 10. We pray, Father, that you would bind these truths upon us. We pray that we would evermore be fortified against those who would seek to draw us back to a time when men were behind walls of separation. Lord, we pray that we would learn the lesson of the sheet, that all things are clean because Christ has made a full and final atonement for sin, and that the creation has been returned to the children of God to be used with thanksgiving in the service of God. Grant that it would be so, O Lord. And Father, where we use food and drink in the service of our flesh, please forgive us. Let us look again upon every strip of bacon, upon every cup of wine, upon every meal of fish. Grant us to look upon them all as a testimony to us that true cleanliness of heart comes through the blood of Jesus Christ and the application of it by the Spirit of God. And Father, we do pray that it would please you to grant to us great joy, great love, knowing that we have come all the way to God, that everything is finished, that we are as reconciled as a soul can be with a holy, almighty God. And we pray that this would liberate us from our fears and that it would strengthen our legs to run and tell the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.